welcome, and it's good to see you all. We are going to be, as Mark said, in Haggai once again. And uh, before we get going, yes, I am going to do this again. So I do invite everyone who is here, who is at home, who is anywhere to grab your phones, and I'll leave this up for a second. Uh, I also texted it, text blasted it, 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 it out. Uh, so hopefully we all have that, but uh, you can either do the app or go to vbox.com and put in this ID number. I will stall for another few seconds just to try to make sure everyone can get this. There will be a couple of these questions uh, coming up. If you need help, uh, raise your hand and there will actually be an opportunity in just a second for me to come help you, uh, but I believe in all of your capabilities. Apparently someone doesn't. <laughs> I'll leave that alone. Um, I do just want to say, just not because I have to, but I do thank you all for bearing with the craziness of this year, for the guidelines that we are asked to abide by, for the inconveniences that life sometimes has. Uh, this is still worth doing. It's still being worth being together and still worth uh, striving towards, even with all the obstacles in the way. So I thank you on behalf of your church staff and leadership uh, for your patience. I do thank you, believe it or not, for your comments, both your critiques and your encouragements. We do try to take them to heart and learn. Um, but also, I just appreciate uh, your heart of wanting to do the best we can for each other, because that's all any of us are trying to do. So on behalf of uh, your staff and eldership, thank you all for putting uh, up with us, <laughs> and me particularly, uh, and for doing what we can. Today, the subject is obedience uh, in the big scheme of things. And I'll give you a quick preface. This is arguably the most... Every time I'm about to say this word, I get nervous because someone always corrects me. It's either applicable or applicable. Take your pick. Which one is it? Who says applicable? Applicable? <sighs> Fine. Applicable. <laughs> this is arguably the most applicable. That sounds wrong to me. It doesn't matter. This matters the most, arguably, out of this whole series. Uh, maybe for not the reasons you think. Obedience is important, but understanding that obedience is actually what I think, and what I think this text speaks to, being most important. There's a little video I found that I want to share with you. It's by uh, Jeannie Robertson, who's a Christian comic, uh, about sending her husband to the store and uh, his obedience. I hope you enjoy it. Well, in our area of the country, when somebody gets sick that we know or has passed, <laughs> we take over food. Have you noticed it? We take over food. You can buy that food. You can go to the deli and the grocery store, get something great, hire somebody to bake it, but put it down in the big list of important things for life. You get a lot more credit if you make it yourself. <laughs> you can put it on your grandmother's platter, but the women in the kitchen will say, I know where she got that chicken. I'm telling you, it works out that way. <laughs> and I make only one thing, and that is small little 7-Up pound cakes. I make them by the dozen. I'm out of town, something happens, left brain takes it over. <laughs> and not long ago, got up one morning and heard that a friend of ours was sick and went to my freezer and my pound cakes were depleted. 
I did not realize I was out. He said, I've been taking them to a lot of people. A lot of people been sick. I said, well, I didn't know they were gone. i got to get a pound cake made before I leave town, honey. Go to the grocery store and get my ingredients. He said, I'm trying to get to badminton. I said, well, there's just a few ingredients. He said, i tell you what. I can get there and get it and still get to badminton, but you make sure I can go through that express lane. No problem. We don't go to the grocery store together anymore because I frankly don't care what things cost by the half ounce. (laughs) So I made up the list and he left. Well, y'all, I waited. I waited. He didn't come back. I thought, he's gone on to badminton. And I thought, now where could he be? I was getting ready to call the grocery store, and I heard the car pull in. He came huffing up the steps, had two sacks and more sacks hanging on his arms. He just glared at me, started putting stuff down, and said, I'll get some more out of the car. (laughs) I looked in the first sack, there was a pound of margarine and two gigantic bottles of vanilla flavoring, doling out a half teaspoon of time. It would take forever to get rid of these two gigantic bottles of vanilla flavoring. And in the next sack were three dozen eggs. I said, they had a special. I'll tell you, they have had a special. I didn't need but five eggs, and I just said a dozen. In the next sack was a big old thing of shortening, two of them. And in the next sack, two more, 12 pounds of Lord, we could fry fish for everybody in here. But in that fourth sack, I found my list. And I'd like to step out of the kitchen just a minute to tell you something. Left Brain is a smart man. He went to Duke University on a basketball scholarship, played basketball for four years, and graduated in the same four years. Then he went to Carolina and got a master's degree and a doctorate. He has over-degreed himself. (laughs) But I don't care how many pieces of paper you frame and put on the wall. If you have a left brain, it's going to kick in on you. And it kicked in on him about the third aisle of that grocery store. (laughs) I'll step back in the kitchen. I found my list... And in my eagerness to make sure that he could get through the express ring, for probably the first time in my life, I numbered the items. Number one, a pound of butter. No problem. Number two, large bottle of vanilla flavoring. I had two of them. Number three, a dozen eggs. This man has a doctorate degree. Number four, a big, big tub thing of lard. I could hear him coming back. I looked down at number five. Said a five-pound bag of sugar. I knew he was coming in with 25 pounds of sugar. Number six was a five-pound bag of all-purpose flour, 30 pounds of flour. Now, I believe in accepting things you can't change, but I also believe in hounding things sometimes, and then sometimes I let it ride. And this time, 
Y'all would have been proud of me. I let it ride. I put that list behind my back. He came in again, <laughs> plopping down sugar and flour all over. Bam, 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 bam. Gets it all down there and says, one more trip. <laughs> I went back to my list and looked, and number seven was a bottle of 7-Up. <laughs> I don't want that big bottle because if you're going to make one cake... And you just use it, it'll be stale by the time I get back. I told him I wanted a six-pack of those medium-sized ones hanging. So I knew he was coming back in with 42 bottles of 7-Up. And in a minute, there he was. I had just cleared a space for him right here, back it up. Put them all down and turned around to me before he left and said, Well, obviously, they wouldn't let me through the express lane. But you know what? He got all the way out in the hall and came back and he said, For the record, I figured out what I had done. But by then she was ringing up the 7-Up. <laughs> and all these people behind me in line were laughing. And I got to get to badminton. Don't tell anybody. I said, I won't. So who would do that? No, I'm just kidding. I, uh, I may have been guilty a time or five of very slightly misinterpreting my wife's grocery list. Not, not to that extent, though, but I can relate with, with the guy. Obedience sometimes produces unexpected results. Sometimes uh, it should, sometimes it shouldn't. What I want to ask is that's a funny way of looking at it. And now I want to get a little bit more serious, though. And here's the first poll question for you and everyone. I'm going to give it a few seconds. I'm going to take a, I brought my coffee beer so I can sip it instead of trying to act not awkward if you're waiting for me. The first question I have uh, is apparently after I forgot my PowerPoint and I forgot how I explained this. Anyway, I want to ask about obedience, and this matters because we've been explaining temples as the combination, the overlap, the interlock of God's space and human space. The temple in Jerusalem was where something happened. God's presence was concentrated, the hot spot, if you will. And there's something that can happen at this overlap and this interlock, which doesn't happen in other places. We call them temples, God's space and human space overlapping and interlocking. The last two uh, Sundays, we've said the temple was one, Jesus is an obvious temple, and therefore now we, you and I, as individuals and of the church, is now the modern day, are now the modern day temples where God's space and human space overlap and interlock, and things happen at these spaces which don't happen in other places. We talked about in the beginning of Haggai, that Haggai had come back along with uh, other people of Israel, and they had talked about... Um, they had only concentrated on rebuilding their own houses. And so God is basically saying through Haggai, Haggai, you looked at much behold, came below. When you brought it home, I blew it away because you haven't been rebuilding my house. You build the temple, he says. Now, we're not just doing that out of conceit or of vanity, but because there's something important about the temple. The temple is the fulfillment, the place to where God's covenant is fulfilled, the center of all Israelite life. I've compared this, and actually this is important for today, which is why I'm going over it again. I've compared the, uh, the Israelites not rebuilding the temple to a spouse, which they cheated. Their other spouse let them back in, and they're living in the house, but they're not making any effort to rebuild the marriage. 
take care of their spouse. They're just kind of sitting in their room, not doing anything. It's a broken covenant by God, uh, by the Israelites not rebuilding the temple. It's not just like a church building to our own be nice. If God's not vain, the center of all life is being ignored in Israel. That's what that means. So the first question I have for you, however, and this hopefully should be fairly quick, is when I say the word obedience, just in general, now granted I've contexted it a bit, but when I say the word obedience, does the word obedience generally strike in a positive or a negative way, just in general, however it strikes you, and I know it depends on context, but when you have her here, you must obey, how does it generally strike you? Take a few seconds, and we'll have to wait, uh, hopefully, I should put this up earlier, have to wait a few seconds for our uh, everyone at home to go. And feel free to, whenever I pick a question and I'm talking, feel free with, to talk with whoever's next to you, whoever's around you, about thoughts that come up, about uh, why you're answering the way you do, about different context. Feel free to chatter a little bit. That's perfectly perfectly okay. We'll, uh, we'll wait a few seconds to get a few more responses. There's no right or wrong, and these are completely anonymous, and so um, just to remind everyone, you won't, you know, I, I can't see who's answering, I'm not going to talk to you later. Unless you need talk to, but that's another story. All right, we're holding there at 34. That's interesting. I didn't think it would, I was curious. I didn't know how this would go, actually. Overall, obedience strikes in a positive way. Now, I wonder if what would have happened if just out of the blue I started with, how does this strike you? Now, granted, we're at church. We have a particular context for obedience, so I'm not surprised. So maybe because we have such a context, it's interesting that still 44% of people who answered, 35 responses, uh, said a negative. That's interesting. So the next question to follow up on that, though, is this. In a word, with that context in mind, in a word or words, don't try not to make them a big, huge, long sentence if you can, what is most difficult about obeying in general? Whatever you have to obey, whatever context it is, what's most difficult about obeying in general? And feel free to, to put this on our the context of church or, or life or jobs or whatever context of obedience strikes you uh, in mind. And we'll, we'll take a couple seconds and minutes for this. Once again, feel free to chatter. I heard a shush. It's okay. Feel free to chatter or talk about it. Uh, with whoever's around you, if you wish.
just a few more seconds. Try and let everyone who's logged on get their response in. Now, obviously, there's a lot of context here. What exactly? I mean, obviously, I could ask you to obey climbing Mount Everest. That would be for probably really difficult. I could probably ask you to eat the rest of the chocolate cake. Probably be easy. Unless you don't like chocolate, which... I know it's contextual, but in general. All right. All right, we'll give it one more response. We got 43 out of 46. Let's try to get close. All right, we're stalled there. There we go. Closing it now. In a work, most difficult about a bang in general. Here's the results. Huh. Now, word clap work in the sense of that the words that are repeated most often are big. Obviously, what stands out? Selfishness, pride, definitely in a church sense, that's very understanding. Uh, trust, submission, pride, is understanding, loyalty, gotcha. I wonder if that means a kind of a bait and switch. I don't know if that, I don't know quite what that means. Staying obedient, not always my choice. Complete trust, rule, <laughs> rules are fun to break. Ryan, was that you, the cop? Was that you? <laughs> You know that too well, don't you, brother? <laughs> Give up my ways, bad leadership, relinquishing against what I want. I, I like, I appreciate, for the record, you getting around the word ruled by hyphenating it, whoever's doing that, so well done. Uh, <laughs> timely, guilt, hard, ego, ability, freedom. That could go either way, couldn't it? See, what are some other personal opinions? I was thinking personopolitis, personal opinions, or intentional, difficult, willfulness, Anger, power, shame, competence, sarcasm. <laughs> he texted sarcastically, maybe? No. Contrary. We can pro Who put Portland? <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I'm sure there's a... There, never mind. Just never mind. I'm leaving that alone. So... We know that oh, oh, Portland, come on. We know that obey, obedience, especially in a church context, is not easy. We know this, that if you want to look at the bigger terms of obedience, that it can be quite challenging, especially depending on the context, depending on what's being asked of you, especially on who's asking, perhaps. It depends on, you know, a lot of things. Obedience is at the key of this next passage in Haggai, which is what Mark already read, but I want to go back through here and just point a few things out. There'll be a couple things I want to explain about the book next week, but right now I want to jump right into this text. As I said, this is arguably one of the most pertinent examples from Haggai, at least from today, at least my opinion. I, it's a guy's opinion. So Haggai asks a couple questions. He says, Thus said the Lord of hosts, ask the priest about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches it with the fold of his bread, or touches his fold, bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. I'm not going to explain this per se as in why and how and which. Suffice it to say, this is part of the Levitical law. 
about food laws. There's a ton of food laws. Uh, one of the things is, in, in sort, in general, things, certain things cannot touch or you're not supposed to eat them. This is the basis of this. It's very weird to us nowadays, uh, but this was a big deal. Uh, not because God is, is stingy or detailed or looking to gotcha kind of thing, but it was all for a purpose. It was all for a point. It was to remind Israel that even in food and even in eating and preparation, holiness is supposed to permeate your entire life. They're weird to us, but yet you have to look at the principle of some of these things. The priest answered correctly, no, it does not become holy. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Now this one we can relate with a bit more. I don't know how much personal experience you have with this, hopefully not too much, but we get the idea of this one a bit more viscerally. The point is what Haggai says about these questions, which is fairly self-explanatory, hopefully, but I'm going to expound upon it. Haggai answered and said, so it is with this people, with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. Now let that soak in for a second. What is Haggai saying? He's comparing like the bread and the fold and, the, and touching the other food. Does it become holy? No. What about if you touch something and then touch something else? Does it become unholy or unclean? Yes. And he compares it to what? He says, with the work of my people and what they build, put another way. Now, what have they just done? This is the important thing. What have they just done, church? They have just built the temple. Rebuilt the temple, as it were. They have built the temple. Their expectations haven't really been met. God says, I will work in you. Go back to the beginning of chapter 2. Um, change your expectations. I will continue to be among you. But what you build, if you build it with unclean hands, in essence, is what he's saying, what you build will be unclean. What you build with unholy hands will be unholy. You mean even the temple? This is the contextual warning. Yes. Now, I don't know how that strikes you, but if you were an Israelite and Haggai said this to you, you would go, you would get a chill down your spine. You would, you would get wide-eyed. You would go, really? The temple's the temple. It's God's space. And you're saying that even, even the temple could be defiled by, by your people, God? Haggai would say yes. This is an intense, intense warning. And put in layman's terms, this is what it's saying. It's saying that impurity, unholiness, uncleanness, however you want to put it, impurity is highly contagious. Fitting for the time, isn't it? Impurity is highly contagious. Holiness is not. Let that sink in for a second. For a prophet of God to say this, impurity is highly contagious. It doesn't take much for something to be unclean, especially from something else. But just because in the example you touch something that is holy doesn't mean that the holiness spreads. Very tempted to say, what does that conjure in your mind? Just even if I stopped here, how would this impact your life? How would this impact church? How would this impact your Bible reading? How would this impact your ministry? How would this impact fill in the blank? 
just if I've, even if I stopped here. It ought to. What this tells us, brothers and sisters, is something that might be a little uncomfortable for some of us on both ends of the obedience spectrum. Those who are both thinking that obedience, you have to be perfect, as well as those thinking, oh, obedience isn't all that important because of faith. I tend to... Well, I won't, both, there's not much as far as extremes in the Bible, and this is one of those not extreme. I think the answer lies in the middle. But what this tells us about obedience is something which hopefully hits us a little bit. It tells us that there is a difference between God glorifying obedience and God appeasing compliance. God appeasing compliance is another word for paganism, to where basically you see a God, you, you have something you want, you have something you need, and you do something in order to get what you want. Or you do something so that way a God, little g God, won't be mad at you. You slank the gods, as it were. You do something to make a God happy. Now, that's, once again, the extremes. What this looks like in real practice, though, is not that clear-cut. What might Christian compliance look like today? And I will say opposed to Christian obedience. Have you ever thought about that distinction before? Do you ever make that distinction before? It's easy to say, well, you're only trying to buy off God, and it's easy to say, oh, you're only trying to get out of hell free. Those are the extremes. It's not that simple. It's usually a bit more complicated than that. But what does that look like? Are you compelled to be here by someone or something? Or are you coming here because you recognize the value of it? Because you recognize that God is a God worth worshiping. Why are you involved in a ministry? Because someone twisted your arm and said, hey, we need people so you should do this? Or because you recognize the value of serving and transformation that happens within it? Why do you pray? Because you know it's a good thing to do? That's not a bad reason. Or because you recognize that the basis of Christianity is relationship. You need a strong relationship with God. Why do you fill in the blank? And I just, I'm pausing on this because this is a question worth asking. Is it a bad thing necessarily in the beginning stages of Christianity to do it just because this is what we do or, or this is a good idea or the Bible says so? Absolutely not. And I'm not here to tell you when that shifts. But it ought to. There's a huge difference between God glorifying obedience and God appeasing compliance and in the words of Haggai, if we continue to live our Christian life, our Christian worship, our Christian church, anything out of compliance, we are desecrating it. Because Haggai teaches that the attitude, the why behind the obedience, the understanding why you do it, does matter. 
We know this because we know what it looks like to have a shallow, poor relationship with somebody that we just kind of have to get through. Maybe it's a meeting, maybe it's a social situation. And we go, all right, I got to do this. Do it. I'm free! Most of us have been there. What's the difference between that and someone you really enjoy being around? Someone you really can invest in and they can invest in you? Everything. Everything. What happened? Okay, I've used this expression, I've used this illustration a lot, but what would happen in a marriage? And for those of you who aren't married, what would happen with your best friend or someone? Fill, fill in the blank how this applies. What would happen if all you did with your spouse or your best friend is only what you absolutely had to do? One. Or two, you did it, but with a poor attitude. What's the difference? Actually, uh, uh, confession time. The last two weeks, I've been up late, been up early. The last two weeks, I've been really rushed, trying to just assemble everything. Um, I usually try to make Amy coffee in the morning. Now, that's not me bragging. That's just something I do. Whoever gets up first usually makes coffee for each other, so she's, she's awesome, too. One of the last two weeks, I was rushed around, and I was getting a shower, and I looked at the time, and I'm like, ah, and I said, oh, no, I need to make Amy coffee again. So I did it real quick, and I, I, I feel like maybe I didn't. She's an extremely graceful woman, so she would probably not relay it this way. I, I'm heart... I'll tell you everything, every way I messed up. I got the coffee, and I like set it down and went, here, there it is, and I ran off. Now, is that good? Sure. This morning, I was a lot more relaxed. I made the coffee. She was in the kitchen. She was making breakfast. I stayed out of her way. I got it, and I put her on the side and said, here, here's your coffee. She goes, thank you, and I walked off very nicely. Both are good instances, right? Both are good things to do. Which one would you appreciate having it done for you more? Which one did I appreciate in retrospect doing more? <laughs> See, it matters both ways. The thing is about holiness and righteousness and, and these things which impact our relationship with God that we have to remember uh, that in every relationship, not just because of rules or because of, of things, but in every relationship, there are rules, there are things in which we must obey. Every relationship has its own guidelines, has its own things. You can't just do anything you want in life in regards to your spouse, unless you want to stay married. You can't just do anything in life with your spouse. Why do you obey those rules or guidelines? Why do you enjoy obeying those things, but yet not other things? Because the attitude impacts your relationship. The attitude in which you do it impacts your relationship. And you want to obey, not just comply. You see, righteousness, even in the Old Testament with God, righteousness, the base word is right relationship. Not righteousness meaning I checked out all the boxes, I'm good with God, I'm free, I'm free from sin. It's about right relationship. Sedekah, if you want to look up the Hebrew behind it. It's all about correcting what was crooked in the relationship, about setting that straight. This is the basis for holiness. This is the basis, brothers and sisters, for obedience. Not law. Not fear. 
Not heaven and not hell. Relationship. It has to be. Otherwise, our God becomes no more than a little G pagan. Right relationship means then that holiness, be holy as I am holy, says God, Leviticus 19. Holiness brings together life and thought, both what you do and how you do it, what you say and why you say it, who you love and why you love them, and out of all of those things, back to why you do and how you do it. In Israel, they rebuilt the, te the temple of God. And God says, with unclean hands, what you build will be unclean. God. The ministry you do, New Testament church, the relationships you have, New Testament church, if done for unholy reasons and unholy hearts and unholy reasons, dare we say, will be unholy. It's interesting if you're thinking, oh, I don't know if that's quite right. We see this in Matthew chapter 5. And I invite you to turn to chapter 5, because we're going to be going over some of the Sermon on the Mount. In the end of Haggai chapter 10 through 19, however, he says, Consider from this day forward, before the stone of the temple is placed, how did you fare? He basically says, look, before, when you weren't obeying me, Consider now from this day onward, since the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed in the barn, indeed the fig, the vine, the pomegranate, the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, if you heed my warning, and the implication says, I will bless you. Jesus picks this up right away in Matthew 5, obviously one of the most well-known passages in the Bible. And he takes this principle on a little bit more. The fact that apathy plus unrepentance will equal no blessing. Apathy meaning non-caringness. Unrepentance meaning yes, and I'm not even sorry for it, will equal no blessing. That's the warning to Israel. And we pick this up in the New Testament, which I keep trying to get to, obviously, <laughs> in Matthew 5. I'm just going to go over the first little bit. I'm not even going to read more or less the whole thing. I'm just going to hit the headings. In Matthew chapter 5, starting after the Beatitudes. Now keep in mind, a lot of times this is preached in terms of the old legalistic law and Jesus now putting the principle of the matter. That's not quite right. The old law was never meant to be legalistic. And in fact, the old law just laid out um, the terms of covenant obedience. Jesus is not necessarily adding anything. He's getting to the heart of the, new, of the old law, which then becomes the new law. When he says, you are salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall salt be restored? Longer good for anything except to be thrown up and trampled under the people's feet. How do you really become salty? Just by doing something? I know plenty of people who do a lot of things in a not good, salty way. I've done ministry for people and with people who I'd rather have not after spending time with them. You are a light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put under a basket. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Shining out is good. But what is being illuminated? What are they seeing with that light? The implication is obviously God, but is it always? 
anger in verse 21. You have heard it said that of those of old you shall not murder. Whoever judges, whoever murders will be held liable to judgment. Obedience, pretty cut and dry. If I don't murder someone, I'm good, right? But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Why you do it? Attitude. Just not murdering somebody, while commendable. Jesus says you might as well murder them with the attitude and the unholiness by which you act. Lust. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, whoever who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in his heart. We get this one, especially us guys. Really much better not to... Well, some would say yes. And I would say yes, but you really want to start racking sins. If you're lusting after a woman, if you're lusting after someone, are you really being holy like God by simply not sleeping with her? Oaths, retaliation, loving your enemies. You can go all through the Sermon on the Mount and find this principle. That it's not just about what you do, it's about how and why you do it. It matters because how and why you do it are the bases of what makes a good relationship. We know this in our human lives. God's not different. He's just, well, he is different, but he's not different in this way. The old adage goes that the grass will be greener on whatever yard you water. This is true, but how do we water our spiritual relationships? By not just what we do, but how we do it and why. You want a good relationship with God? Don't just pray. Ask yourself, why do I pray? How do I pray? You want to learn scripture? You want to memorize scripture? Don't just read it. Ask yourself, how do I read it? Why do I read it? You want to develop a fruit of the Spirit? How? Why? These are important questions because if we don't ask them, we will be just as guilty as the people of Israel building the temple but building it possibly uncleanly because of our how and our why. This is how it matters. And I know I saw a few people look at their watch. I know. This is how it matters to bring some things together. This is how it matters why the space and the time and the matters, the possessions around us are different. Because the only way to change these is not necessarily only by what we do, but the reasons and the attitudes and the hows that we do it. We're creating temple space wherever we go. As Jesus was the walking temple of God, as Jesus was the walking, in-person, manifested temple of God, so is our commission. And it's not just done by what we do. Can God use a deed done with the improper attitude? Absolutely! It happens all the time in Scripture. But if we really want to take the mission and the vocation of being temple people seriously, if we really want to be the space to where something special happens, something different happens, and wherever we are, we as individuals or we as a church, where the space of God and the space of humans overlap and interlock, if we really want to take that differently, it's not just about what we do, it's about how we do it, why we do it. Our attitudes matter. Our holiness matters. Our righteousness, it all matters. 
This one I think I'll just leave. I won't actually ask this because we're running short on time. I'm sorry. With that in mind, what gets in the way most of our relationship with God? I'm closing it. I'm sorry. Whatever gets in the way most, however we answer that, is going to be one of the main ways, the main things that impact our how and why. Whatever we answer that question with, what gets in the way of our relationship, right relationship with God, is going to be what affects our space, our time, and our possessions most. It's going to affect how we use our temple space most. I invite you to dwell on that this week and ask, why is that? And how can I deal with it? To sum up, three points at the end for those who like taking notes. One, as I said, holy, God-glorifying obedience, not compliance, it matters. Not just in the fact that we do what God says, but why and how we do it. That matters because faithful, obedient, not compliant. Faithful, obedient living is how the kingdom itself is brought into the world. That's what we'll look at next week. Spoiler alert! It's not just by what we do, but how and why we do it is how God uses and how God saves the world and how God brings the kingdom and how God spreads the kingdom into the world. Not just what we do. He can use that. He can use anything. But he has always preferred faithful, relationship, obedient living as his preferred means of spreading the kingdom into the world. How we obey God matters and affects the results of our obedience. I'll dwell on this a little bit more next week. Take whatever aspect of your spiritual life you want and ask, what is getting in the way? And sometimes it's a lot more obvious than we realize. If you have a lustful problem, well, it's going to affect your obedience with your spouse as well as God. If you're looking at pornography, you're not going to have a very good prayer life. If you have a bad uh, attitude towards ministry or serving or, or helping other people or being with other people or serving or anything like that, and you wonder why you're not becoming more like God, how we obey God matters. You feel like you're not getting very much out of church? Why are you here? Don't want to hear me preach. Oh, Lord, help you. <laughs> this matters. Because true relationship-based obedience, not compliance, faith, is the key to following Jesus. Jesus knew exactly why and how he followed God. This is our question for us. The question is obviously, first and foremost, are you trying to follow God? And if you're not sure, if you want to start that journey, obviously feel free to talk to me or Mark or Casey or the person next to you. But for the rest of us, are we compliant Christians or obedient Christians? Do we obey God or do we appease Him? And what do we need to work on this week 
to help us faithfully and lovingly in righteous relationship obey our Father. Let's stand and sing.